Peace family, thank you for joining us for another episode of It's That Easy with Nicole Carter and Nikki Builder. Um, So we are on episode 9, which today marks our season finale for the first season of It's That Easy. And I just want to start out uh, or again say thank you to everyone who has um, been joining us for the shows whether you've been catching it on the archives or listening in live, we are so grateful for um, your participation, for your feedback, um, and it, it feels good to be here for um, for episode nine and for the season finale. Honestly, I am ready for a break, family. Um, I, you know, this 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 work can get cumbersome for me because. My personality can be obsessive sometimes, so I'm like, oh, I need to do this so perfectly, and I need to make sure I say this and say that. And I've learned so much um, over the season in doing this show about how I communicate, about, um, you know, how others think and feel, and I've just learned so much um, over the season, and, you know, I'm grateful to be here and definitely ready to take a break and use that time to, um, you know, sit back and, 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 and look at what I've done or what Nicole and I have done over the season and bounce back and forth some ideas around how we want to proceed forward for the second season. Um, so I'm looking forward to that. And uh, thank you again, family. So let me get into some announcements uh as always, you can go to myastrologycoach.com or theimaginationguru.com to get uh, details and information surrounding uh, events and activities with the priesthood. Uh, most notable right now are the quantum scriptures. Um, that takes place on Sundays at noon Eastern time. And coming up in about, ooh, Six weeks is the Positron Past Weekend in Jacksonville, Florida. That is going to be the weekend of September 23rd through the 25th. Um, I think this is going to be a really important event. Um, uh, Minister Jew is going to walk folks through um, uh, the, the function of the hippocampus, which is very important um, uh, place and space in in the in the brain uh, that deals with uh, your past experiences and um, um, disappointments and failure tends to get logged into this space. So Minister Jew is going to be walking folks through how to how to clear and and void uh, that old baggage. Right, a lot of us is walking around as bag ladies and bag men, not even realizing that. Our our past um, oftentimes gets brought into our present, and uh, it affects how and whether or not we are able to manifest in the, in you know the things that we desire for ourselves. So the Positron Past Weekend is going to be very powerful, and I want to encourage everybody to make sure you get on to one of the two sites, and I'll tell you again, that is uh, myastrologycoach.com or theimaginationguru.com for more details. 
So um, while I wait for my lovely co-host to join me on the line, let me start out with a little synopsis for what uh, episode nine, what this week's episode is going to be about. So today we're basically going to be covering highlights from uh, the first season, the previous eight episodes that we've done, answering some questions that came up over the season as we prepare for a short break leading into season two. Um, Nicole and I are also planning to leave you today with seven daily practices for cultivating peace in your life. Um, And, you know, Cole Cole and I, we love to give y'all the the bright side. We love to give y'all the silver lining. We love to give you the, the healing aspect of it because, you know, so often in our culture, so often in, you know, the, the day and age that we live in, there's there's so much negativity out there to get trapped into, right? There's so many different different prisons for us to get shackled into. And oftentimes there is no conversation around how to get out of it, how to heal from it, um, how to heal from the past trauma. So we're going to leave you with seven daily practices for cultivating peace in your life. Um, And and that's pretty much the focus uh, for today's episode. Um, So I'm going to go ahead and jump into it while we wait for Coley Cole to jump on the line with us. Um, Okay, so I got to keep it real, right? I'm going to kind of bounce around a little bit. I've got my, my seven practices written down, and I realized as I was going through them, I was trying to correlate each one of them to a particular episode of the show. And what I realized is that really all of these practices that I'm going to be sharing with you all today are applicable to every conversation that we we've had, every episode that we've we've done. Um but I think I, I, I tried to use each practice to sort of highlight some particulars within each of those conversations. And so normally it's my practice to go back and I'll generally I'll, usually I'll listen to the episode, you know, after we record it, you know, within the, the first day or two after recording the show. And last week's episode, I did not listen to it. Intentionally, I did not listen to that show. That was a really, you know, it was a lot of meat in that show, and there was a lot of ground to cover. And, you know, time is is of the essence every time we do this show. And um, there was so much content to get into, and unfortunately there just wasn't enough time to really touch on, you know, all of the notes that I had. I had, like, pages worth of notes that I wanted to touch on and just just wasn't able to get around to everything. I did get a a couple people to hit me up with some questions about the show, and so basically I just didn't go back and listen to it because I didn't want to obsess about it even more because I have a tendency to obsess about all of the things that I didn't get to say or, oh, I should have said that or I said that in the wrong way. And what I realized was going on with me was, my need for perfection was acting up. That's that's what it was, and that was something that we talked about in in last week's episode, um, which was, excuse me, which was week eight, and the the discussion was too cute, and we were discussing beauty in the 21st century, right? And a lot of that conversation had to do with. Uh, 
appearances, right? And 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 one of the things that that came out of the show, and and I loved it. Nicole made the statement that you know oftentimes we're told that beauty is in the eye of the beholder, e y e, physical eye. But what Nicole highlighted so eloquently for us was the fact that beauty is in the eye, as in the self of the beholder. And I thought that that was, I I thought that was just absolutely brilliant. I was just done after that um, because I, I thought that was such an eloquent statement and such an accurate statement for the reality of beauty. You see, oftentimes, in the society that we live in, you know, the, the we live now, the 21st century is all about the so-called reality TV shows. It's, it's all about the media. It's all about social media, right? And, and we live in an, the information age now where the world and, and, and information is, is so readily available and accessible to us. And it's got its pros and it's got its cons. I think the con of that or the the negative side of having access to so much information is that it it becomes cumbersome. It, It becomes too much, especially in light of many of us live in a reality where we are often tempted to feel less than. We are often tempted to compare ourselves to each other, right? That's what our society says that we're supposed to be doing. It's all about this competition. And when Nicole made the statement that beauty is in the eye or the self of the beholder, what I felt that she was really speaking to is the fact that we have got to see and observe beauty in and of ourselves, not contingent on outside opinions, not contingent on outside definitions, but really being able to behold those things within ourselves from a very pure, genuine space. And and that is so important, family. Um, so I thought that that was a really beautiful statement that Nicole made. Um, there were there were some questions that that popped up around that conversation. Um, I, I had a couple personal friends reach out to me like, oh, you know, I listened to the show. I felt this kind of way. I felt that kind of way. You know, did you mean this? Or you know, there there, there were some questions that popped up, and I I wanted to take an opportunity to at least. Um, touch a little bit, if I can, on some of those questions. Um, uh, so where do I start? There was so much, right? Uh, one of the things that, you know, we we talked pretty extensively about colorism in the black community. And color being a really big uh, characteristic in our community for beauty, Right. And I thought it was really interesting, and I knew that the conversation that Nicole and I were having was was going to bring up some emotions. It was going to bring up some concerns and some questions, and I think that that's that's totally healthy. One thing that that I've grown into recently over the past couple of years is embracing and being open to being open to conflict, being open to disagreement. Because what I'm finding is that those are really opportunities for me personally to exercise my communication skills, to exercise my my understanding and my, my wisdom, right? Because oftentimes 
I, I feel like people come from a space of, you know, this assumption that if a person is my friend, if a person loves me, then they have to agree with everything that I say. And and that's just not true. The I think the purpose or the intention of human contact, human relationships is is growth. So we're all here to to teach each other and also to learn from each other at the same time. And I'm always when I whenever I talk about my daughter, I often make the statement that she is my teacher, which is totally true. And to some people that's odd because our society says that I'm the mom, I'm supposed to be the teacher. But I think the reality is I on a spiritual level, I learn so much more from her. She is she's my greatest spiritual teacher and I've got some great spiritual teachers in my life that that's a that's a, a blessing um but my daughter just in in my day-to-day life and interactions with her and observing her she's been my greatest spiritual teacher and I, I want to tie that back to the color conversation uh, that was very pertinent in uh, last week's conversation. Just as far as I, 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 what I thought was really important and something that came up for me in having a couple different conversations with friends who were giving me some feedback on last week's show, um, one of the things that came up for me and I really want to illustrate is this idea that colorism in the black community is our own special form or brand of inter- intra-racial racism. And what I'm recognizing is that racism from the outside, right, other folks being or practicing, you know, uh, prejudice toward, against, or around so-called black people in America, what that really is, it is a reflection of our intra inter-racism with and amongst each other. This whole color conversation is, what, a 400-year-old, more than 400-year-old conversation that we seem to just be going around in circles with because many of us seem to be unwilling to have the conversation in and of itself. Oftentimes we are taught, and, and, I think, and I think that's where the surprise about last week's conversation actually came from, is the fact that most people feel like the, the conversation of color is off limits, right? You can't talk about that, and you especially can't talk about it if, you know, you're considered to be privileged, right? In our community, oftentimes we have this very false perception that light skin is a gift and dark skin is a curse. And subconsciously, I oftentimes, I see people acting out this very idea, but on the conscious level, People don't want to have that conversation, and 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 that's something that Nicole and I are all about. You know, we always are saying it. It's our favorite word, transparency. Nicole and I are willing to have the conversation, even at the expense of people feeling uncomfortable, even at the expense of people disagreeing or people feeling like, you know, we're wrong to have the conversation because of of our complexion. 
you're not supposed to say that. You're not supposed to say, you're not supposed to, you know, and and, and I even had a friend who said to me, you know, um, that that he felt like I came off a little bit arrogant because I made the comment that I recognize that I grew up with a, a, a false sense of privilege from the way that people perceived me. I grew up constantly being told that I was pretty or I was cute, here's a piece of candy. And that set up within me a a certain sense of delusion about the world, about reality, about other people, about myself. And it also instilled within me a, a very unrealistic, false expectation for perfection. So in having that conversation with my friend who you know felt like oh you you you're not supposed to say that you're not you're, you're not supposed to say it because of your skin color you're not supposed to say that uh just because it's not politically correct or whatever the case may be and and one of the things that I said in that conversation was guess what I'm willing to be wrong I'm willing to be incorrect I'm willing to not be PC my biggest concern is putting the conversation on the table, and I think that's what this whole season of It's That Easy has really been about, is having some uncomfortable conversations. That's what we got to be willing to do, and, and I hope that that's something that Nicole and I have demonstrated over the season, is, is really opening people up to having some difficult conversations, right? Because... What happens when we when we're unwilling to have the conversations, right? That that's the greater question. What's what's the what's the price? What's the cost for not being willing to have those conversations? So the and, and what happens is oftentimes those emotions, the feelings that come up or arise from as a result of these conversations, they 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 they, they get inside of us and they sit inside of our hearts and they fester. And and they reflect themselves or they act themselves out subconsciously. And oftentimes we're so busy thinking that we're doing such a good job of building this wall that we have around this ourselves. You know, we think we're we think we're so. Uh, you know, we think we're so protected by this false wall that we have up, not realizing that that wall oftentimes is made out of glass. You know, oftentimes we really don't recognize that. I heard Minister Jew speak to it once before, and he said, you have no secrets. You have no secrets. We, we're we deluded oftentimes into believing that, you know, I can I can do this little passive aggressive thing, and you know what what's the definition of passive aggressive? Being passive aggressive means that secretly, subconsciously, I have an issue, I have a problem with you, but I'm not going to be woman enough or man enough to address that issue. I'm just going to behave aggressively toward you without actually tapping into or addressing the issue at hand. So now all of my interaction with you comes from a space of negativity and drama and trauma without me addressing 
the real and actual issue at hand and 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 who and 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 we think that you know we're we're being so uh tough by you know being mean to this person, but in reality it's actually doing a disservice to ourselves when we're not willing to have the conversations because again, we are all here to learn and to to grow from each other so I am a complete and total advocate of the idea that the hard conversations are simply necessary. And let's come to a space of understanding with each other rather than, I don't like what you said, and now we just can't be friends. That's ridiculous. I I think that's a really great illustration of, of our often immature nature, our immature uh, way of thinking and being and showing up in the world. So we've got to learn to grow up, and I really think that a part of growing up is being willing to have the conversation, be, no matter how difficult it is. Um, another question that came up that I wanted to address was um, uh A statement that Nicole made last week And she was talking about You know being in the parade In San Francisco And you know her and and the sister uh, Who was marching in the parade With her you know making the comment To her that You know she had gotten the top spot Because of her skin color And Nicole you know Being comfortable enough within herself to just laugh it off and not really be phased by that. But then also at the same time, Nicole made the statement that in, you know, participating in the parade, you know, when she would see little little brown girls, you know, she made a point to make eye contact with them. And I got some comments back or some questions or concern back about that and people feeling like, oh, well, you know, was that a reflection of this light skin privilege? And and I really that that was something that I, I was I couldn't wait to get on today's show to talk about because I, I think that what Nicole said was sincere and honest and, and we've gotta we've gotta learn to we gotta learn to get out of our damn feelings. Like straight up, get out your feelings. You know it is it is it is our negative emotions and the things that we're not willing to say, the things that we're not willing to discuss that end up coloring the lens that we see the rest of the world through. So I got called a name when I was a kid, and I didn't feel confident enough in myself to speak up for myself. And so now this emotion of inadequacy, this emotion of not feeling good about myself has festered over the past 30 years, and that becomes the lens that I see the rest of the world through. And and that's a part of what I heard coming back to me as I was listening to, you know, people's concerns about Nicole's comments. And here's what I brought up to people, because in this whole colorism conversation, there are some things, again, that we are just simply not willing to say. And this conversation is getting too damn old for us to continue allowing it to fester and, and, and we're, we're, we, can, we breathe life into it ultimately, because we're we're giving out, we're constantly giving our attention to it because we're having the conversation within ourselves rather than projecting the conversation out, putting it on the table, and and deadening it, 
right, saying, okay, I'm putting it on the table, we're going to get to the bottom of it, and then it's gone, right? So what I, what I noticed was that the people that I heard, you know, having concern about this conversation or making uh, um, co- uh, comments about what Nicole said as we got deeper into our conversation, what I found was that there was a sense of that hurt me because of some past wounds that I had. And so in this conversation about colorism, especially as it pertains to the African-American community, black community, black Africans in America, however you want to label that, whatever you want to call it, it's a very important discussion for us to have. And something that I said was, well, I think what you're speaking to is a level of responsibility between light-skinned sisters, medium-skinned sisters, dark-skinned sisters. There's a level of sisterhood that I think many of us want to see, a level of unity that many of us want to see. And I think it gets expressed. You can look at social media any given day of the week, and you'll see the memes about team light skin, team dark skin, right? And at the end of the day, that entire competition is petty and silly, and we're the only ones that give any real value to that. And it's because of us giving value to it that it lives and breathes. So if we can take the power away from this whole light skin brown skin, dark skin competition, then it will cease to exist. And when I when I say that there's a level of responsibility that I think each of us has to each other, whether you're light skin, whether you're dark skin, whether you're brown skin, whether you're blue, whether you're purple, it doesn't matter what color you are, we all come from the same family. We all have similar stories. We all have similar roots. We all have uh, grievances and pains and hurts. We all have those things, Right. But there's this illusion that says, oh, because this person is light-skinned, then her life is excellent and great and wonderful, and she's never experienced any turmoil, which is a total illusion, right? And so there's a level of responsibility amongst us to exercise our sisterhood. And, And what I said to a friend of mine in having that conversation, I said, you know what? This conversation reminds me of being in a position, and I've been in this position multiple times before, where I will get brothers to say stupid shit to me like, oh, I only date light-skinned women, or even to the extent of I'm making ex- an an ex- I don't date black women, but I'm making an exception for you because you are light-skinned, right? And brothers feel comfortable enough saying dumb shit like that to me. But then they get surprised when I come back and I'm looking at them like they stupid, right? Because what I recognize that 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 comfort comes from is a lot of times, and I'm not saying all brothers do this, you know, I don't intend to make any generalizations here, but what I am speaking to is, is this idea that many of us buy into these falsehoods about color. We, many of us buy into, dark-skinned people buy into the 
illusion that light skin is a gift and that dark skin is a curse. Light skin people buy into the idea that light skin is a gift and dark skin is a curse. And we continue to perpetuate it through our conversations, through our actions. So what I recognize is that when, when when black men feel comfortable enough to say to me that they only date light-skinned women or that they, they're making an exception for me because I'm a light-skinned woman, the first thing that happens is they get checked. Okay. The second thing, the second thing that happens is I no longer even have any interest in, in these types of brothers because I, I'm I'm not even up for the challenge of living up to your expectation of what my light skin is supposed to mean, right? Because there's a there's a set of definitions that comes along with that, right? If you're light skin, you're supposed to be uh, more submissive. You're supposed to be nice. You're supposed to be well spoken. You're supposed to be uh, you know, you're never supposed to look stupid, and you're supposed to be perfect, right? And then they find out that I'm human, right? I have no interest in living up to those false perceptions or even perpetuating them. And so the conversation that comes up for me when I hear brothers feeling comfortable enough to say silliness like this to me is, ain't your mama a black woman? Where do you come off feeling prideful saying that to me? Like, that's that's totally crazy. And furthermore, I take offense to that as a black woman, period. Not as a light-skinned woman, thank you for making an exception for me. There's no prize in that. So there's a level of responsibility and not buying into the delusion that each of us, kind of secretly holds each other up to, but then when the conversation gets uncomfortable or when the conversation leads into, you know, things that I don't want you to say as a person of this this complexion, then conveniently I'm supposed to stop talking about it. But, again, the goal here is simply transparency. So my takeaway, my highlight for uh, week eight, which was too cute beauty in the 21st century, is we've got to learn to speak from our hearts, not from society's expectations of us, not from society's external um, uh, superimposed definitions of us, but we've got to learn to speak from our hearts, regardless of how difficult the conversation is. And, again, I love what Nicole said. She said, beauty is in the eye of the beholder. It's in the self of the beholder. So we've got to learn to define beauty in, of, and for ourselves. As long as we allow outside society to to define it for us, we'll never live up to those expectations, regardless of what your skin color is, regardless of what your financial status is, Regardless of what, and that was another thing that I didn't, I didn't really touch on last week, but uh, I thought about over the week after the show was over. I was like, damn, I didn't, I didn't touch on, uh, you know, swag, you know, being a an aspect of attractiveness. So we got to be really careful about qualifying people based on physical or external characteristics or appearances. So I'm moving backwards a little bit through the show. Um, 
And I want to speak on uh, week seven, which was expanded families versus blended families. Uh, my takeaway for that particular week, or my 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 daily practice that I wanted to highlight was, we got to learn to get out our feelings. And and I said it a couple minutes ago in speaking to, to being too cute, right? But we 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 really got to learn to get out of our feelings. I I want to read a quick quote. I've been reading uh The Power of Now by Eckhart Tolle, which I think is a really delicious and wonderful book and I've been slowly just taking my time going through it and 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 allowing the the wisdom of it to sink in and I just want to share a quick passage from the book in in talking about um, identifying with our feelings and, and, and how necessary it is for us to get out of our feelings. And that quote is, he's talking about how we have to learn to observe the thinker, right? Many times we we, we think that we tend to identify ourselves as the conversation that's going on in our heads, right? And Oftentimes, for many people, that that inner dialogue tends to be very poisonous, very negative, right? And we have this tendency to believe that, well, well, that's me. That's my true self. But what we don't realize, and oftentimes we don't realize it because we're not willing to have the conversations because so many of us want to be so perfect. We, we We want to seem like we got it all together. Right, so we don't we won't have the conversations about man, you know we we won't sit down with our friends like what's what's the conversation in your head most of the day what what is your head what is what are the thoughts in your mind telling you about yourself because mine are are negative and and my 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 inner dialogue tends to be pretty pretty poisonous and negative, and we don't find out. Because we're not willing to have the conversation with each other, we tend not to find out that this is a struggle that most people have, is the negative dialogue, is the negative emotions and feelings. Because, again, many of us tend to be functioning from our jadedness, our 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 perceived failures, our perceived sense of, not good enough. And and the reality is this is something that most people are actually struggling struggling with. So um Eckhart Tolle he makes the, the statement um in this book. He says forgive me family, give me just a, a moment to find it real quickly. Do 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 he says that ah, where did it go? I'm sorry. Here it is. Many people live with a tormentor in their head that continuously attacks and punishes them and drains them of vital energy. It is the cause of untold misery and unhappiness as well as of disease. And I I was like, whoa, so I'm not crazy, right? And and many of us simply need to, to, to know little pieces of information like this so we can be clear of the fact that, no, you're not crazy. This is a part of the challenge of 
life is is learning to diffuse and to disassociate from that negative inner dialogue. There's another comment, there's another quote in here that he makes about our our feelings and how oftentimes most of us are emoting negative energy and that that negative energy is a result of our our unresolved uh failures, our unresolved fears, our unresolved uh Emotions and conversations That we're not willing to have With each other Because we don't want to look silly Because we don't want to find out That maybe we were wrong So we got to learn to get out of our feelings And and as that pertains to Expanded families versus blended families I I correlated this this particular Practice of getting out your feelings to expanded families and blended families because uh, what I, what I think um, often happens is that when relationships fail or relationships end or really it's not especially when children are involved it's not that they end or that they fail they just change shape or they change form. But oftentimes in our society, we've been taught to believe that this is failure. We've been taught to believe that, you know, you lost, right? And and this sense of failure oftentimes contributes to a sense of not good enough, a sense of I did something wrong, a sense of, Inadequacy And That sense of inadequacy If we don't Address it If we don't identify it And and, and really Speak through it and speak to it We end up Dragging that negativity with us Oftentimes for the rest of our lives And it's another brick In that wall that many of us are building Around ourselves And and we tend to think that building this wall um, is, is, is You know I'm punishing My ex or I'm punishing That person you know I ain't got no Feelings I don't you know I'm I, You know I'm so hard now But what we really don't realize Is that ultimately we're punishing Ourselves when we build these walls So when I say We got to learn to get out our feelings We got to do that So we can get into Some wisdom And wisdom and understanding Are provided When when we're willing to have The conversations When we're we're willing to get out of Our Negative delusions Of and about ourselves so get out your feelings, family. <laughs> get out your get out your feelings, Nick. <laughs> and and that's something that I'm often having to remind myself of. Get out your feelings. So moving back again, week 6 was about fear and the need for a savior. And I, I that was a good week. I I really enjoyed uh, the conversation that week. And the highlight for me personally was Got to learn to trust ourselves. 
and when I say trust yourself, what I'm realizing, and again, I've been reading The Power of Now, and one of the things that I love that uh, Tole illustrates in this book is that we've got to learn to identify ourselves with the greater cause, with the I am. We've got to learn to identify ourselves with our spirits. But because we live in a day and time that says that, you know, if I can't see it, touch it, you know, feel it, then it's not real, oftentimes we've been taught to taught not to trust subtle energy. We've been taught not to trust our spirits. Really, we've been taught not to trust ourselves because spirit is your true self. Your spirit is the one that came here and and enlivened your body with a cause. Your spirit is the one your spirit is the one that's got that that eagle view, that that hawk's eye view uh and knows where you're going. It knows where you are, and it knows where you've come from. So it is so important that we learn to practice the the very fine art of trusting ourselves. That that's so important because if if we don't learn learn to trust ourselves, then our our expectation for answers, our expectation for peace, for good, for for love, our expectation for all things good in this life become external to us. And we and it is it is through that false perception, it's through that false belief system that we, you know, falsely learn that We've got to search outside of ourselves for peace, for love, for God, for happiness, for joy. And the reality is all of those things, if we would, if we would simply learn to dig within ourselves, all of those things are already within you. They're already there. You, you don't have to go and find it, right? You, you don't have to go and seek it. You don't have to go and, and, and get you a man to make you whole and complete. Our society has taught us this very false perception that we need to go and get external things to make us complete, not realizing that, that you were born whole, you were born complete, you were born with with everything you need. God has already equipped you with everything that you need to execute the task that you alone were given to execute in this lifetime. It's already there. So we've got to learn to trust ourselves, and in trusting ourselves, really, it's about trusting our spirits. Week five, I am versus me first. Um, the, the, the practice that I want to tie to that is learning the practice of meditation, the practice of being still. Uh oh, is this Nicole? Do I, is this you on the line? I'm sorry, I just <laughs> been yakking away. Nicole, are you on the line? Coley Cole, is that you? No, it's not. I'm sorry, family. 
I got I got a few callers on the line, and I'm just trying to see if I see Coley Cole on here. I don't want to steal the whole show. Y'all know if y'all let me, I'll I'll talk all day. Okay, no, Nicole is not on the line. Okay, cool, no problem. I can keep talking. Um, so I am versus me me first. So I, the I think the the principle here is a practice here for cultivating peace is learning the art or the skill of stillness, meditation. It is so vitally and absolutely important. And and the the art or skill of of stillness or meditation really influences all of the previous uh, topics that, you know, I I went over already. You know, the, the fear, you can uproot your fear through tapping into stillness and meditation because it, it stillness or meditation is ultimately a tool for tapping into your spirit it it fuels your spirit it gives power to your spirit and and, and spirit is the one that we want to be able to hear more loudly right I, I talked in week one about ego and how loud ego can be ego will <laughs> Ego will tear you up. Ego is loud. Ego ego is it can be brutal, right? And so because many of us are so easily in the practice of listening to ego because ego is real easy to listen to. It's so damn loud, right? We've 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 lost the skill or the art of listening to spirit. And so spirit, because it's so subtle, because it's so quiet, it requires practice to be able to recognize that voice. It requires practice to be able to calm down enough and and level out enough to get to the space of, what you say, spirit? Okay, I got you. I I, I just needed you to say it again because my ego over here is shouting so loud. And and really that's why meditation is is so important. I think the other piece of that is beginning to learn and know self. Know thyself is a commandment uh, known to every generation, uh, regardless of religion, regardless of geographic location. That is an edict that, Every religion, every culture is familiar with, and and that's not by coincidence. That is because of the fact that this, that knowing self is 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 possibly one of the most important things that we can do for ourselves in this lifetime and any lifetime. We've got to we've got to learn not only the voice of our spirits. We've got to to learn how our spirits communicate. But even deeper than that, we've got to learn and know also how our egos operate. We've we've got to learn and know, yeah, my spirit, my my ego likes to act up whenever I'm trying to do something new. My ego likes to act up whenever I'm trying to meditate. Right, and, and and really, ego can can be a big obstruction for many people in learning the art or skill of meditation. Because ego will tell you, nah, you, you, 
you, you didn't been down there. Five minutes, that's more than enough. Get up. Why don't you come over here and do X, Y, and Z? Ego will have you running around crazy. But we've got to learn to step back and observe ego. We've got to learn to step back and observe and, and, and listen to spirit. So our ability to identify and distinguish between the two is, is vitally important for our existence, for our elevation, for our enlightenment. Uh, one, one other thing that I wanted to speak to in, in learning and getting to know self it is so important, family, that we get to know and learn and understand our natal charts. I have recently been doing some research in my natal chart, and I've been into astrology for a long time now, right? Most people know their sun sign. You know, I'm a Cancer, I'm a Scorpio, I'm a Leo or whatever, but we know, we tend to know very little about the influence of the other constellations and how they influence the other planets in our chart, right? So I was born July 7th. That makes me a Cancer. That's my sun sign. So, however, the sun is not the only planet in the natal chart, you know, you got you got to know where Saturn is in your chart. You got to know what's going on with Mercury in your chart. You got to know what's going on with your moon sign. There, there's, there's so much more depth to that. And I think the importance of the natal chart really is it also points to areas that we need to improve and work on in this particular lifetime. For example, um, when... I look at my, my birth chart or when anybody else looks at my birth chart, it, one of the things that becomes painfully obvious and clear is the fact that I have absolutely no earth in my natal chart. So what does that mean? Well, what is earth? Earth is, is the, the quality of earth is, is about practicality. It's about, you know, it's about hard work. It's about attention to detail. It's about... Uh, uh, determination and, and, and will And you know um, It's about seeing things through to the end So the fact that I have Absolutely not a speck Of dust in my natal chart Speaks volumes To the fact that I have got to learn How and I've got to identify How to get some earth In my life But the revelation that really, you know, looking at and seeing my birth chart and the fact that there is no earth in there, that gave me some serious revelation around why it is that I find it to be so difficult to I, – I, I used to hate things like planning and, and – Planning, oh, God, that was like a curse word to me. It was like an offensive word to me. But seeing my, my natal chart and, and beginning to understand my natal chart really brought a lot of light around that fact for me. So what occurred to me was the fact that one of the things that I need to do in my business life especially is seek out earth signs. I need to I need to put myself into a partnership with people who've got earth, heavy earth in their charts in order to kind of offset 
this lack of earth that exists or does not exist in my natal chart. I got a lot of water in there. I got a lot of fire in there, right? And and speaking to the uh, speaking to the fire. Well, I'm not even gonna go back. I'm not going backwards. Never mind. Never mind. But I got a lot of fire, a lot of water, and a lot of air in my chart. So. You know, naturally, I'm I'm flighty. I'm all over the map. I'm, you know, I I used to say I'm crazy. I'm not crazy. I'm not any more crazy than the next person. We all have our spaces for improvement. We all have our our uh, challenges in this life lifetime. But being able to pinpoint them really, I think, allows us space to. Um, to really tackle them and, and and to be able to make some goals around what those shortcomings are. Another another way that I've realized I can bring some earth into my chart, other than partnering with people who've got heavy earth in their charts, <laughs> is that I, I'm learning that I have to cultivate daily practices in my life that allow me to ground into the planet. I am. I love to sleep because I love dreams. I oh, I'm the queen of dreams, baby. I I keep my my dream uh, journals, and I be all up in there. And you know, I I love looking at symbolism. I'm 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 pretty good, I would say, at understanding abstract communication. Um, therefore, symbolism, and so. A big piece for me, you know, all of those are good qualities in moderation, but the the biggest piece for me is is learning to get that earth in my chart, learning to to ground into the planet. So when I wake up every morning, a big piece for me is 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 grounding in so that I can be productive and and accomplish goals throughout the day. Because if not, I'm going to be moving like water and air, and I'm going to be all over, and I want to do a little of this, a little bit of that, and I'm so busy doing a little bit of everything that I ultimately don't get anything accomplished. So, you know, multitasking, I used to be a, a really big advocate of multitasking until I finally realized that multitasking ultimately means being busy doing a whole lot of nothing, <laughs> being busy doing a whole lot of nothing. So we we've got to get we've got to get into stillness. We've got to get into meditation so that we can we can tap into and fuel our spirits. But we've also got to learn and and learn and know ourselves as individuals. What are my challenges? What are my strengths? What are my weaknesses? Um, we, we've got to know and learn the difference between a growth mentality and a fixed mentality, right? And what's the difference between those two? A growth mentality says, okay, these are my challenges, these are the places that I need to improve in my life, and I'm totally able, willing, and capable to do so. A fixed personality says, oh, well, I don't have any earth qualities in my chart. That's just the way I was born, and I'm just gonna, that's just going to be the way that I am for the rest of my life. I'm going to just be flighty. I'm going to be all over the map. I'm going to be crazy. That's just going to be me. A growth mentality allows us to acknowledge ourselves as we are without judging ourselves and then to say, okay, here are some ways that I can improve that. It's about growth. Life is ultimately about growth. 
Week four, accidents are intelligent. Uh, I would say that the the practice that I would correlate to that particular topic is we've got to learn to embrace challenge. Um, and, and I want to speak. I want to speak briefly to um, kind of the first place that I started to hear about and learn about this concept of embracing challenges. I, I often will speak to uh, the fact that I love, 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 love Kabbalah. So I started studying Kabbalah maybe, excuse me, I started studying Kabbalah in, mm, I think about 2010 was when I came across my first Kabbalah book. Um, and that book was, ooh, God Wears Lipstick. Sisters, if you've never read that book before, that book is the quintessential relationship guide manual you know, learning male-female relationships. Sisters, go out and get that book. Um, God Wears Lipstick is an an excellent, excellent book in distinguishing learning, uh, the difference between masculine energy, feminine energy. The fact is masculine energy operates, uh, it sinks, it it behaves differently than feminine energy does. Does that mean that one is better and the and another one is worse than the other? Absolutely not. It just simply means that they're different, and that's okay. So, we, so in embracing challenge, we've also got to learn to embrace differences. You know, the the beauty of the world that we live in is individuality. The fact that I have a twin sister. She and I were born on the same day from the same mama, same daddy, and oftentimes, and this is actually a really good illustration, oftentimes people make the assumption that she and I are and should be exactly the same. That's not true. We're two totally different people, right? I was looking at, I was comparing our birth charts. Our birth charts are exactly the same with one exception. We both have Pisces rising. I'm 11 degrees Pisces rising. My sister is 10 degrees Pisces rising. That is the only difference in our natal charts. However, even though there's there's this one single difference between the two of us, the way that we show up in the world, the way we express ourselves in, in the world is very different. We're like night and day. But at the same time, we have our similarities. And that in itself, I think, is an illustration of the beauty of humanity. Humanity is so beautiful, both for our our similar qualities, the things that we share amongst each other, but we're also beautiful because of our differences. So learning to embrace challenge, learning to embrace differences, those things are opportunities for us to elevate. Those things are opportunities for us to grow. And I think that that's so important. I was talking about the book God Wears Lipstick, which I love, love, love. That is definitely amongst my top five, top ten favorite books. Um, but, again, she, she talks about, um, you know, the 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 
differences in the way that masculine and feminine energy manifests themselves and how each of them, though different, is equally important. So when, when, when I talk about this idea that accidents are intelligent, oftentimes, you know, we tend to believe that, oh, I make a mistake, I failed. You know, oh, I, you know, failed to plan, then no good can come of, you know, anything that, that, that comes as a result of my, my lack of planning. And I think it's that same week is the week that I talked about. I talked about my daughter and, and, and giving choosing to give birth to her. And I, 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 I she was a surprise. <laughs> she was a surprise. Um, but that one, that, that surprise, that, I'm not going to call her an accident because that's the last thing that she was. But that unplanned, unanticipated event in my life was amongst, if not the single most, pivotal event in my life. It, it was absolutely, that event was absolutely life-changing for me. There's no other way to put that. You know, sometimes I'm like, I want to be a little more sophisticated in the way that I speak, or, but that's it. That that event evolved my life so tremendously, so immensely, so greatly, that I know that if I want to call it an accident, that accident was the greatest thing that ever happened to me because it grew me in a way that no other experience in my life had done. It 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 allowed me giving birth to my daughter, having my daughter becoming a mother. What it really did for me was it gave me permission to be my true authentic self. Because I, I realized at that moment like, damn, I'm a grown up. You know, I I had always projected about my life subconsciously from the space of, oh, well, one day when I grow up, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to be that way, or I'm going to be brave. I'm going to, I'm going to, going to, going to, going to, going to. But having my daughter gave me permission to be present in the now. It is now that I have permission to be myself. Uh, having my daughter gave me an, an, a very immense sense of, of courage. And, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's the same week that I talked about it. Like I, I left the delivery room, like, pimp walking because I, I, it gave me a, a level of confidence that was like, man, I I just went through 30-plus hours of labor and I didn't die. <laughs> Even though I felt like I was really close to it, I didn't. I survived that. And it gave me the confirmation to know that I could survive anything. I could do anything. I could I could experience very deep, intense levels of pain and still survive that. So embracing challenge gives us an opportunity to grow. I, I mentioned it before on, on my YouTube channel. I in the in talking about embracing challenge and the importance of challenges, 
Challenges are simply an opportunity for us to exercise our magic. And I, I learned that, again, I'm always talking about my baby. She's my teacher. I learned so much from her. But sitting down watching, you know, kids' television shows with her, and I noticed, like, you know, she loves, like, Mickey Mouse Clubhouse and uh, Miles from Tomorrowland and all of these different television shows that she likes to watch. And, and in watching them, I realized that the the common thread that all of these shows had was, Teaching children to be creative, teaching children to think outside of the box, because the danger of the box is that you can't do it. You don't have the resources, you don't have enough money, you're not cute enough, you're not, you're not enough. The box will tell you all kinds of craziness to limit you and to keep you inside. But the, the, the beauty of challenge, the, the, the beauty of being challenged is simply the opportunity to say, I'm bigger than this, and I'm going to show you how. And I'm going to show you how simply by solving the equation. And that's really what every opportunity, that's really what every challenge in life is. It's an opportunity for us to demonstrate the fact that we are greater than our fears. We are greater than our our limits, perceived limits, right? Because limits only come into play when we identify with the smaller parts of ourselves. When we identify with the God part of ourselves, which is the greatest part of ourselves, we have no limits. So embracing challenge, because challenges are simply opportunities. Week two and week three, um, they were part one and part two of the same topic, that topic being the poor righteous teacher complex. That was another uh, favorite topic for me. Um, we had a wonderful, wonderful guest on the show, Ice Life, who um, was incredible and, and a, a, a living demonstration of what it looks like to be on to start out on one side of the fence, to start out as the poor righteous teacher, and to to grow beyond that, right? Because ultimately, uh, I think what we what we talked about is the fact that the poor righteous teacher is, is an archetype, right? It's a it's a it's a it's a phase, right? That serves its purpose. One of the things we've got to learn to get out of is defining things as good and bad. Everything has its place. Everything has its purpose. There is no such thing as good or bad. And if we can learn to get out of that programming, life will become so much sweeter. Life will become so much greater if we can learn to dig into the essence of no-thingness. It's not good, it's not bad, it's just what I'm experiencing right now. And I'm going to demonstrate my greatness by solving this equation. So Poor Righteous Teacher Complex uh, was another another hefty, hefty topic. Um, I think the, the, 
practice that I want to pull out of that is we've got to learn to count our victories. Um, and, and, and that's a, a daily practice that we should all uh, participate in. Um, it's, it's very important, and Nicole mentioned it before, it's, it's only a victory if you count it. You know, sometimes, and it can be societal training or conditioning, you know, oftentimes we're taught to believe that victories are, you know, these great, ginormous works of art where we overcame huge adversity. But if we believe that that's true, then the effect or the result of that is that we have to constantly be confronted by experiences, situations that are very grand and deep, right? We don't we don't want to be having to like slay Goliath every damn day. <laughs> like that's that's got to get exhausting and tiring. Like we can deal with you know slaying Goliath, you know maybe two times a year, you know. And, and when I say slaying Goliath, I'm I'm just talking about these really big, hefty challenges that that life can bring about. Um. So in 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 saying that, you know, we've got to learn to get out of not counting our victories, not counting small victories, you know. So just the same as I said, there's no such thing as good, there's no such thing as bad, the same also rings true that there's no such thing as a small victory. The fact that you opened your eyes and woke up this morning is a victory, and we've got to be willing to count that as such. One practice that I have every night, as I'm I'm laying in the bed and falling asleep, and you know I, my baby, and I, I I encourage her to to participate with me. I say let's let's count seven victories for the day, and you know some days the victories are greater than others. Some days the victories are are just as simple as I fed myself, <laughs> I fed the baby, I my 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 lungs gave me, you know, pumped fresh air through through my, my blood, my heart pumped. It, it didn't stop beating. It didn't skip a beat. That is a victory. So we've got to learn to count those things. And and the reason I'm, I'm tying that to poor righteous teacher complex is because oftentimes the poor righteous teacher is looking for and believing in something outside of himself. The poor righteous teacher has condemned himself, if you will, or herself to a life of poverty because for the poor righteous teacher, uh, enlightenment, consciousness only exists in lack or poverty. And again, if that's the expectation and your wonderful mind seeks to do nothing but to confirm and affirm everything that you believe, then that sets us up for ultimately, I want to say failure, but, you know, I'm, I'm trying to be conscious of, of the words that I use. But the, 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 the caution here in the poor righteous teacher archetype or, Consciousness or space of thinking 
is in counting the victories. The poor righteous teacher, and we've all got a little bit of poor righteous teacher in us. I admitted during the show, and I've admitted it before, I am a recovering poor righteous teacher. The poor righteous teacher tends to only be conscious of failure, and that's a problem because focusing on failure fuels failure, and it tells the mind to bring me more failure to experience, bring me more poverty, bring me more sadness, bring me more tragedy to experience. So what we expect is what we receive. So we got to be real careful about that. Count your victories, no matter how small they are, because when we fuel our victories, we tell our minds to bring me more of them, give me more opportunities to be victorious. And then, and then we learn also to look for victory within ourselves. We learn to expect victory from ourselves rather than failure. And now uh, week one, the first week was unconscious addictions. I also loved that topic um, in talking about unconscious addictions. Um, there were a few things that, you know, after I listened to the playback on the show, I was like, man, there are so many. We should have just really given a list of unconscious addictions because, you know, a lot of times we, we tend to think that, you know, uh, the fear, the the failure, the drama, we tend to think that these things are totally normal. And, and why wouldn't we think that in a society where the media is constantly feeding us this image that says, you know, everybody is, you know, so full of drama, everybody is, you know, going through all of these traumatic experiences, and and that's just, you know, what the world is. The world is a cold, harsh reality, right? But oftentimes we don't realize that that is the addiction. The addiction is believing that the world is a hard place to live. We, we, We learn to expect through our unconscious addictions failure, Oftentimes we are addicted to drama. We're addicted to not being good enough. And so by being addicted to that emotion, we then attract people into our lives to affirm that very idea. I love, I I, I was listening to an old um, lecture or talk um, in, in Noble, Noble Ampu was talking about um, his dad and um, an unconscious addiction of his father's, and so he said, you know, he gave the example. He said, you know, my dad, he has this this book where he records, you know, people who are in debt to him, and you know, he, he keeps this list, and you know, he but he always talking about how he knows that nobody is ever going to pay him back thus pops up the unconscious addiction, right? And so he said to his dad, you know, well, how about just get rid of get rid of the notebooks in? And he's like, no, you know, I got some good paper in there, right? So that's where the ego comes in and justifies the addiction, right? His addiction is nobody ever pays me back. 
you know. And and in our society, I see the memes about it all the time. I'm I'm so fascinated by social media because I think it's a really great illustration of the way that people genuinely think. Um, and so you see the memes all the time on social media. Oh, good people always get hurt. I'm too nice to people, and that's why I'm always finding myself hurt and blah, 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 unconscious addiction after unconscious addiction. And so we 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 sort of glorify ourselves in, you know, patting ourselves on the back and saying, oh, I'm such a good person because I'm always trying to help people, but everybody else is so bad because they never pay me back or because they always do me wrong. But we never sit back after having multiple experiences of the same uh, content or the same issue, you know, ego will allow us to point the finger and blame everybody else. Everybody else is the problem. But I always say, if you can look at each of those situations and say that you are the one experiencing each of those each of those. You're the one in that, you're the common denominator in each one of those situations. So you must be the issue, and it can't be everybody else. So we've got to learn to make better decisions, right, and and, and stop gratifying this false perception of, oh, I'm just so nice and the world is so horrible and poor me. I just have to live in this cold, hard world. No, a part of your issue may simply be that you got to learn to make better choices. you got to be, learn to be a better judge of character, right? Oftentimes it's not everybody else, it's us. And what I, I talked in, in that first week about my experience with the old man on the road and, and how I, I realized that he was ultimately a mirror for me. And, and that's something that we've, we've got to learn is that, Oftentimes, the conflicts that we have with other people ultimately serve as a mirror for our own inner conflict. Our inner conflict oftentimes gets expressed as outer conflict from other people, whether it's family members, whether it's friends, whether it's lovers, whether it's our children, whomever it is. Oftentimes, conflict shows up to serve as a mirror for the 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 inner conflicts that we have. So the the practice, the peace cultivating practice that I want to associate with unconscious addictions is learning to identify and observe the ego. Ego is is a is a real tricky character family. It's a real tricky character. So we've got to learn how it communicates. We've got to learn how it shows up. We've we got to learn that character. Oftentimes we're deceived into believing that, oh, well, that's just me. That's, that's just my character. That's who I am. And, you know, I can't do anything about it. I can't help it. But ultimately I think the, the question that many of us are trying to dig into is learning to distinguish between the true self which I say is spirit, and the false self, which I'm not going to say ego is the false false self because I want to be very clear about the fact, and as Nicole did such a beautiful job of illustrating for us, is the fact that ego has its purpose. 
So ego is necessary. Ego is here to preserve us, right? We should like ourselves enough to, you know, want to to live and, and be present in our daily lives. And ultimately that's what ego's job is. The the error that we make oftentimes is giving ego too many hats to wear. We've got to learn to allow ego to serve its purpose and then tell ego to go sit down when his job is finished. Because if we don't, ego will become a tyrant that gets completely out of control and will seek to manage, control, manipulate every aspect of your life. And ego will have you believe in that, well, I'm supposed to be doing this. Ego has a purpose, and that purpose is to preserve to preserve us. When we are trying to grow, when we're trying to elevate, ego got, got to go and sit down because ego is the one that also at the same time wants to keep us in a certain state of existence. So that's why when, when we're trying to grow, when we're trying to get bigger, ego has to go and sit down. So we, we've we've got to learn who ego is because you got to know who you telling to sit down, right? And then we've also ha- we also have to learn the skills, the art, the ability to simply observe ego, right? Not judging ego, not saying, oh, I shouldn't be thinking this way, I shouldn't be I shouldn't be thinking that. No, just observing ego because the reality is, ego is a personality. Of its own, and again, I, I'm gonna bring it back to you know I've, I've been heavy on on this book that I'm reading, The Power of Now, and Eckhart Tolle talks about how many of us identify our authentic selves with our egos, and that is a mistake. Ego is just another ego is like your your bodyguard. That's who ego is, right? But you shouldn't be letting ego wear the accountant hat. You shouldn't be letting ego wear, you know, the 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 cleaning lady hat, the cooking hat. Let ego do its job, and then develop a, a, a keyword that lets ego know, okay, you're getting out of place. It's time to go and sit down, and. I had kind of devalued when we talked about it before and we talked about the keyword in in another week. But I hadn't fully grasped a single word to check ego. I was I was for a while I was busy still struggling and it's like arguing with a child, right? It's not an argument you're going to win, right? Sometimes it's as simple as do what I said do. And that's the end of the conversation. So here I was busy trying to, you know, uh, argue with ego and get ego to agree with me and get ego to understand my perspective. No. The I recently, this week, I, I was listening to, um, there's a, a song uh, by uh, Big Boy and um, CeeLo is on there and... Um, Somebody else is on there, but it's called Reset. And I, I, you know, sometimes you haven't listened to to a song in a minute and then you just pop on a CD or whatever and it comes on and you're like, oh, that's it. 
And when the song came on, when I heard it this week, I was like, yeah, that's my keyword right there. Reset. Start over. And and that is my that's my check for ego. That's my check for, you know, the negative dialogue that likes to pop up in my head very often, right? But I'm in a place now where I'm learning that it's my job simply to observe it, not to beat myself up for having the negative dialogue, to acknowledge it, to observe it, to check it, and to tell it to go sit down. End of story. And it can become cumbersome to think, you know, when when, when people tell you in, in this in this inner peace work, in this elevation, enlightenment work to, you know, constantly be in the practice of observing your thoughts, of of observing your ego. You know, that can seem like a really cumbersome job, but it's one of those things that once you get into the practice of it, 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 it becomes very easy. It, it becomes second nature to you. And so it's, it's really about reprogramming ourselves and getting into the habit or into the practice of moving away from the mindless thinking, moving away from the mindless chatter, right? Because because now we are um, replacing, at least to start out with just a little bit of that negative chatter with the observation, right? And 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 when we can... Simply doing that allows us to see that there is a separation between the two. You are not your ego. Your ego is a part of your personality, but it is not the totality of who you are. And so once we can make a separation between the two, now we've created a gap, and it is in that gap that God now has the space to come in. So as Nicole and I often talk about on the show, God is somewhere in the stillness. God is somewhere in the void. God is somewhere in the quiet. And it is our job to to, to find that stillness, to find that void, to find that quiet, because ultimately that's where peace resides, not in the chatter, not in the busyness, not in the fear, not in the craziness, not in the drama, not in the trauma. God is simply in the void. Because the void says there is no good, there is no bad, there simply is. That's God. So to kind of summarize um, uh these daily practices. I know I was all over the place. Y'all probably like, oh, get it together, Nikki. Um, But I want to summarize these seven daily practices for cultivating peace. Um, Number one, learning to identify and observe the ego. Number two, count your victories. And that should should really be a, a, a practice that, we do like clockwork because our, our our bodies need it, our minds need it, our hearts need it. We need to be affirmed. Again, we can't go looking for affirmation from the outside world. 
we we got a beauty is in the eye or the self of the beholder. Victory, I dare say, is in the eye or the self of the beholder. So for me personally, I like to count um, seven victories for my day. If you want to do ten, if you want to do five, if you want to do just one, make sure you identify at least one victory every single day. And and as as small and minute as that seems to be, I, I promise you, family, that that is going to do great and wonderful things for your life. It, it's going to simply by giving attention to it, you are fueling it, and by fueling it, you are attracting more of it to yourself. Number three, learning to embrace challenge. Um, I think every single day we all face some some sort of a challenge. Challenges are simply opportunities to demonstrate our brilliance, to demonstrate our magic. So we've got to learn if if we if we would simply learn to be excited about challenges. Like what's what's today's you know what's today's journey gonna be? What, you know what's today about? If we can get excited about that, then we can take the power away from challenge. And, and and this association with, you know, it, it being negative. Many of us, I think, believe that challenges mean that, you know, God is mad at us. But no, sometimes God just want wants some confirmation about how brilliant you are. And God wants to show you how brilliant you are. So that ultimately is, is the nature of challenge. Challenges are opportunities to demonstrate our magic. Um Number four, stillness or meditation. That is a that is a skill, that is an art that we we gotta master. We gotta master it. Simple, simple. Moving on. <laughs> Next. Learning to trust ourselves. Um and when I say trust yourself again, I, I'm really speaking to spirit. But I didn't say learning to trust your spirit. Instead, I said learning to trust yourself because for me personally, I am I am trying to practice not not making a difference between myself and my spirit. I am my spirit. My spirit is me. That is my true authentic self. The problem comes in when we try to start identifying with other lower aspects or vibrations of the self that are not the true, whole, complete, authentic self. Spirit is the true self. So so learning to 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 trust spirit means that we're learning to trust ourselves. Next, we gotta get out our feelings family. Feelings like ego have their place. When you are done with your feelings and they have served the necessary purpose, you got to learn to put them away. We have got to learn to put them away. I have got to learn to put them away. We got to get out of our feelings because oftentimes feelings are really negative associations, and so they they snowball and fester and and, and get get all nasty. It's like it's like water. You let it you, you let water sit for too long, it becomes poisonous. The same thing with 
feelings, excuse me, with emotions, because emotions and feelings are different. different. So we got to get out of our emotions. We've got to stop leading our lives and allowing our emotions, our negative emotions, to color the lens that we see life through, to color the lens that we see other people through. If we allow emotions to lead our lives, we will often find ourselves disappointed. Um, And last but not least, learning to speak from our hearts. That is the most authentic, real place that we can speak from. And when we speak from our hearts, we we can never truly be wrong. We can be misunderstood. And and actually that's that's my lesson. That that's been my lesson in in the past 9 weeks of doing this show. It has doing this show has challenged me to be comfortable with speaking from my heart. Regardless of being misunderstood, regardless of being disagreed with, regardless of anything that comes up, I know that as long as I'm speaking from my heart, I'm speaking from an authentic space and I'm speaking from a safe space. Speaking from our hearts does not guarantee that everybody is going to agree with us. It doesn't agree. It doesn't mean that everybody is going to like what we have to say. But as long as we can speak from our hearts, we are speaking from authenticity. We are speaking, our hearts are ultimately the voice of our spirits. So when we speak from there, even if, it, even, if, even if our words serve to cause some discomfort, to, to shake up the environment, so be it. That's what's intended. There is a lot of, of, of anguish, a lot of hurt, a lot of negativity in the world that we, need, that we live in. By not speaking to it, by not challenging it, we perpetuate it. That that's ultimate. That's that's the ultimate issue. We perpetuate it when we don't speak from our hearts. Our hearts and our spirits know what our purpose is. What what we've been sent here to to. Address to change So as long as we speak from our hearts We can't go wrong family Yeah So um, And and that's another thing for me You know in in learning to listen to my spirit My my spirit is always Giving me little tips and guiding me You know Nikki you said enough (laughs) And, And that's okay you know, or 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 my spirit is, is is nudging me to say things sometimes that I know are gonna rub people the wrong way. But it is my belief that ultimately we are here to grow, we are here to elevate. And and for me, that is that is the greatest gift is is to come here and to do our work. Because doing our work allows us to grow, it allows us to elevate. Speaking from our hearts, living from our hearts, acknowledging and 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 and, and leaning into our spirits we can never go wrong with that. So I think I've said enough. I, I do see um some we got some family on the line and I'm gonna just 
open up the lines quick, briefly to see if anybody's got any questions or comments uh, before we close out. And uh, we'll be this will lead us into a, a break for a few weeks, and then we'll be back at y'all with season two of It's That Easy. So, like I said, I'm going to open up the lines, and if anybody's got any questions or comments, please feel free to lay them on the table. All right, family. The lines are unmuted. Do we have any questions, comments, concerns, family? Anybody? Anybody? All right. Speak now or forever hold your peace, or at least until season two. (laughs) No questions or comments? All right, family, no worries. Well, then I'm going to take that as, Nikki, you've said enough. We're clear about your statements, and you've done all right. So, um, again, thank you, family, for joining us for and, and making season one of It's That Easy a, a wonderful uh, success. It has been a journey, and it has been a pleasure to to build, to speak with you all, to answer your questions, and and to share with you all. So um, that's it for Season 1, and we will see you all in September for Season 2 of It's That Easy with Nicole Carter and Nikki Builder. Peace, family.